Well, good news, this is the last week that uh, I'll be doing uh, announcements. Matt will be back, and so there's some good news for you. Uh, good morning. Good to see you today. Uh, we're going to uh, overview uh, Genesis chapters 30 through 33. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and take them out. Turn to Genesis chapter 30. We'll start there. And today we are going to see a 20-year detour that Jacob's life had taken. So in his story, we're going to learn how to deal with the detours that life brings our way. Uh, last week, we saw Jacob getting married to Leah and Rachel, their sisters, and, and after he got tricked into it kind of by Laban, uh, the, the sister's father, and the result was is that Jacob had to work 14 years in, ex in exchange for permission to marry them, uh, but really, he only wanted to marry Rachel, and that's where the whole trickery thing came in. And we have seen in, in previous weeks, Jacob had been, uh, you know, a bit of a handful himself. In his earlier days, uh, he was determined, uh, uh, well, now he had determined to be uh, a, a little bit better, and he determined to do what's right. In his earlier days, he was kind of a conniver kind of guy. And, um, and, and so now he's kind of turning the, the, the corner, and he, he wants to do what's right, although he doesn't always hit uh, the nail on the head all the time. Uh, and you can say what you want about Jacob. The one thing is, is that uh, he was not lazy, right? He's very resourceful, like he worked hard, he served uh, Laban well, and in the coming years, uh, he would make uh, Laban uh, really a pretty wealthy guy. And uh, in the process, uh, he would build up a pretty good portfolio for himself as well. Uh, so while Jacob was successful in business, at home, things were uh, not going very well. The, the sisters he married were not getting along. And, uh, you know, like we didn't see that one coming, right? Um, both of them were jealous and insecure. Both of them knew that Rachel was Jacob's favorite, but she wasn't able to have kids right away. And so Leah had given birth to four sons at this point, And Rachel uh, didn't have any. And when she complained to Jacob about it, he basically said to her, Look, not my fault, not my problem. Stop complaining. So a real compassionate did. So here is what Rachel decides to do about it. She gives Jacob a concubine named Bilhah, one of her servants, to bear children in her place. Common practice of the day. We've seen it before. Same strategy with Sarah and Hagar. And so Jacob fathered some sons with Bilhah. And so Leah, not to be outdone, right? She uh, gives Jacob... Another concubine, her servant, Zilpah, and she has a, a, a couple of sons 
as well. And then at last, Rachel gives birth to a son named Joseph, right? We know Joseph's name. He's Jacob's favorite son. And so before you know it, Jacob finds himself with four wives and 11 sons, right? A whole lot of stress at work and a huge amount of conflict at home. So Jacob at this point is still working for Laban, but he wasn't getting paid what he thought he should be getting. And so finally, Jacob and Laban work out this agreement that should be a win-win situation. But Laban being Laban, right, tries to manipulate it in the terms of the agreement so it would all work in his favor. So in spite of all that, Jacob always seems to be one step ahead of his father-in-law at this point. He eventually realizes because God is actually blessing him at, at this point. And finally, after 20 years, Jacob had had enough. And time had come to return to Canaan, where he was, he was born and raised. So, so look with me at Genesis chapter 31, verse 3. Where it says, then the Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. And so even if Jacob never knew it, God was preparing him for this time. First, God gave him the desire to go back home in Genesis 30, 25. And then uh, his present circumstances become so unbearable that the Lord directly says to Jacob, go home. And the most important part of this uh, is if God were with Jacob, he could be at peace and, and confident in any difficulty that he might face. And so this promise of God's presence means everything at this point. Drop down in chapter 31 to verses 12 and 13. It's, it says, lift up, <coughs> lift up your eyes and see all the goats that mate with the flock are striped-spotted and molded. And for I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. Now arise and go out from this land and return to the land of your kindred. And here we learn that the blessing of the production of sheep and goats described in Genesis 30 verses 37 through 43 was in some way revealed to Jacob in a dream, and not only did Jacob use clever agricultural methods, but more importantly, he had the what? The blessing of God. And then when Jacob told Rachel and Leah about his plans to go back home, the, their response is, in effect, all right, let's go, right? Our father doesn't treat us very well anyway. We have no inheritance to look forward to. There's nothing here for us, so let's pack up the camels and, and whatever, and let's go back to Canaan. Now, Jacob knew that Laban wouldn't take the news of him leaving well, and so he waits until Laban is away from home. He packs up the family, right, the flocks, the herds, all the stuff, and, and they set out on this 400-mile journey back to the land of Canaan. And when Laban finds out that Jacob left, he sets out in hot pursuit. And even though Jacob had a, a day head start, Laban eventually catches up to him. Right? It takes him seven, seven days, but he finally 
catches them. And right before he did, God spoke to Laban in a dream. And he says this in Genesis 31, verse 24. But God came to Laban, the Aramean, in a dream that night and said to him, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. So, so the dream kind of prevents Laban from going off on Jacob. But it didn't stop him from, from trying to play some mind games with Jacob. Right? He wasn't going to be violent against him, but he was going to kind of play some games. So he accuses Jacob of stealing his God statue thing, which Rachel actually does take it, but Laban can't prove it. Laban's like, why did you sneak away? Why, why didn't you, you, you know, say that you wanted to leave? And, and Laban's like, I would have let you go. Why didn't you at least let me kiss my daughters goodbye and, and say goodbye to my grandsons? I, I'd have thrown you a, a party and I would have given you all that was yours. And Jacob's like, no, you wouldn't have. Right? He knows Laban can't be trusted. And then Jacob gets all riled up and tells Laban all the stuff that he's done for him over the last 20 years. He's like, look, I've, looked, I've worked for you for 20 years, caring for your flocks under bad conditions, through heat that was unbelievable, sleepless nights. And in all of our business dealings, I've always gave you the advantage. And yet you never paid me what you promised. You you." Never treated me like a son, but you always treated me like a slave. And then he said this in verse 42, If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had not been on my side, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God saw my affliction and the labor of my hands, and he rebuked you last night. So, so... Uh, Jacob, after he's kind of been a pushover for the last 20 years, right, he finally kind of stands up to Laban. And so after that, finally these two guys come to a peaceful agreement. And the next day, Laban says his final goodbye to his daughters and grandson. And Jacob takes his uh, family and continues on to Canaan. And so with Laban's issues Put to rest, Jacob knew he needed to turn his attention to yet another painful part of his past. And I'm thinking of the situation with his brother Esau. And you might remember Jacob swindled Esau some many years ago, cunning him out of his birthright and his father's blessing. And you'll remember that Esau's super mad about that. And he's so mad he was ready to kill Jacob which is why he took off to Haran in the first place to work for Laban. And now he wants to reconcile with his brother. And Jacob sends a messenger to reach out to Esau saying, in effect, I'm ready to make peace. So the messengers come back in a few days and they're like, Esau got your message and he's coming to meet you and, and he's coming with an army of 400 men. Not exactly the response Jacob hoped for. So he begins to separate his family into two groups, thinking if one group's attacked, then maybe the other group might be able to escape. 
right? And then he prays in Genesis 32, verses 9 through 12, <coughs> and Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred that I might, may do you good. I am not worthy of, of the least of all the deeds and the steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan. And now I have become two camps. And please deliver me from the hand of my brother, the hand of Esau. For I fear him, that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. But you said you will surely do you good and make <coughs> your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. So, so after... First, reaching or reacting in, in fear and unbelief, Jacob does the right thing, right? He reaches out to the Lord and he prays. And this, if you look at this, this is a good prayer, right? It is humble, it's full of faith, it's full of thanksgiving, it's full of the word of God, right? It, it is a good prayer that Jacob prays. George Mueller was a great man of faith and prayer, and he once was asked, what's the most important part of prayer? You know what he said? He said, the 15 minutes after I've said amen. Right? No, no matter how great Jacob's prayer was, his faith would be seen in what he did after the prayer. So what does Jacob do? He sends his brother a present of cows and camels and goats and whatnot, because that's, you know, what you got back then. And it's an impressive gift, because he wanted to make it completely clear to Esau that he didn't, that didn't need or want anything from him. And, and if you really look at this, it's probably an attempt to, like, buy his brother's good favor, Right? And the gift is a good example of, of the way we trust and our ability to do things and make things happen apart from trusting God, I think, a lot of times, right? There's an old uh, Christian hymn that's, that says this, All to Jesus I surrender, all to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily live. I surrender all, I surrender all. All to thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. Anybody know that old hymn? There's a few of you that, that do, right? Do we really mean that, though? I surrender all? So often, like Jacob, I surrender all the goats, and if that's not enough, I'll surrender all the sheep, and if that's not enough, I'll surrender all the camels. Here's the point. What Jacob refused to do was to surrender all of himself and truly trust in God's promise for protection. And then the story takes an interesting turn. And as if none of this is already interesting enough, after Jacob sent his family on their way, he decides to spend the night alone at the camp and probably spending most of this time in prayer. And God had to get to Jacob uh, and get him alone before he could deal with him. 
And while all this activity is going on, this huge entourage surrounded by Jacob, and he could kind of busy himself with, you know, all the stuff that he had to do. But once he was alone, God commanded his attention. And the Bible says that a man came and wrestled with Jacob. And the following verses show that this was no mere man. This is another special appearance of Jesus in the Old Testament before his incarnation in Bethlehem. This was God in human form. Spurgeon had a thought. He put it this way. I suppose our Lord Jesus Christ did here, as on many other occasions, preparatory to his full incarnation, assume a human form and came thus to wrestle with the patriarch. And we can only imagine what this scene would look like, right? It might have looked like a, a, a barroom fight at times, or it might have looked like, like an intense wrestling match. And during all of this, this man touched Jacob on the hip, and, and, and he wrenches it out of his socket. And Jacob's like, I will not let you go until you bless me. And the man said, what is your name? And Jacob said, my name is Jacob. And then it says in verse and chapter, Genesis 32, verse 28, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. And then Jacob says, now you tell me your name. I'm thinking like he's thinking turnabout's fair play, right? You want to know my name. And the guy goes, why do you want to know? And then he blessed Jacob. Now drop down to verses 30 and 31, and Jacob calls the name uh, of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. And, and the sun rose up upon him, and he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. So a couple of, uh, of memorials here that I want you to um, understand and get. And the first one was, was a name, right? Jacob named the place Peniel, face of God, that's what that means, because he does not know the name of the man that wrestled with him. And he was the same one who wrestled with Jacob all his life, right? And so Jacob also understood that it was only by God's grace and mercy that he escaped this episode with his life. The second memorial it was this constant limp, right? Jacob would remember being defeated by God with every step he took for the rest of his life, which I think really is a small price to pay for such a great gift that he got. And so as the sun was rising the next day, Jacob left to rejoin his family. And it wasn't long before he could see Esau approaching a face-to-face encounter with his brother and with his 400 men that were coming along with him. And so as Jacob approached him, he bowed to the ground as a sign of peace and respect and demonstration of peace. So Esau runs to Jacob, and he embraces him, and he kissed him. And they both had a good cry together. And then Jacob says this in in. Genesis 33, verse 10. No, please, if I have found favor in your sight, then accept my present from my hand, for I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God, and you have accepted me. 
And so when Jacob gave that generous gift, it was his way of saying to Esau that he was sorry. And when Esau accepts the gift, it's his way of accepting Jacob and saying that he was forgiven. And so the two brothers at last make peace. After decades of anger and resentment and regret, all was forgiven. And so Esau invites Jacob to travel the rest of the way with him, but Jacob respectfully declines, and, and he didn't make his home near Esau. He goes another direction, eventually arriving at a town called Shechem, where he settled, um, and, and his 400-mile journey is complete. Jacob had arrived in Canaan, the home of Abraham and Isaac, safe and sound, just like God promised. In Genesis 33:20, it says, and he erected an altar, and he called it El Elohi Israel, which means God, the God of Israel. So what can we learn from Jacob's journey? Because I think in a sense, we're all kind of like Jacob. Sometimes before we can move forward in, in our lives, we might have to finish the journey uh, through our past. And even though Jacob had this 20-year um, detour and he'd been growing his family and building up wealth, and in a sense, though, he's kind of spinning his wheels, right? In a series of bad decisions that caused him to wind up in Haran, but, but that wasn't God's ultimate plan for his life. Haran was just this detour. And I don't know about you, have you ever felt like your life is, is taking a detour? And it can happen when we know what God has planned for our lives, but at the same time, you're not living that plan. And you feel like you're just kind of spinning your wheels. But, but you're ready. You want to move forward. Let's just... Take a minute this morning and, and, and see the things that we can learn from Jacob today that might help us get off the detour and, and back on, on the right road with, with the Lord. The first lesson that we can learn, well, we got to go. Okay, here we go. Uh, first lesson that we can learn uh, this morning is to break away from that which is holding you back. Right? Jacob was good for Laban, but Laban was not good for Jacob. He also wasn't good for his daughters, and Laban was a user, a manipulator, and a con man. And, and I don't know, maybe you know people like that. that. That is why finally there comes a time in Jacob's life where the only reasonable option was to separate himself from Laban, right? And he just needed to move on. And I bet there's times in your life where you're like, you know what, i got to do the same. And maybe it's a job that's killing you and you're just like, it's time to explore other options. Or maybe it's a friendship that's destroying you and it's time to dis distance yourself from toxic people. Isaiah 41.10 says, do not fear for I am with you. Do not be afraid for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will also help you. I will also uphold you with my righteous right hand. The reason why we can break away free from whatever it is that's holding us back is because God is with us. This verse is both a command and a promise. It's a command to fear not, but there's also a promise. We fear not because the Lord has told us, I am with you. What more do we need? If God is for us, who can be against us, Romans 8 tells us. 
Second part of the promise is God's strength and, and glory will make him able to help us. But it is his love that, 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 that he says to us, I will help you. You know, Haran was never a great fit for Jacob. Ideally, he would have just traveled there, married Rachel, brought her back to Canaan, just like his father did uh, with Rebekah. But my point is this. If we want to move forward, sometimes we have to make difficult decisions to let go of what's holding your back. You've got to fear not. You've got to say goodbye to those that are hindering your growth. We just trust God, Right? All right, the second lesson that we can learn is uh, you need to wrestle with God and lose. Right? The Christian life is a struggle. Spiritual growth is hard. It doesn't come easy. It never comes quickly. Right? It's a process. And the point of the story has been 20 years for Jacob, and he still has a ways to go. He's not quite done with, with the struggle. He hasn't reached the stage where he can say it's like smooth sailing uh, from here on out. Anybody there? Where you're like, hey, it's just smooth sailing, I'm good. But we do see some signs of growth. As a young man, Jacob depended on his intellect and his charm. And as he matures, he learns to recognize the hand of God in his life. He learns to pray when he needs help. He learns to thank God for his blessings. And after spending that night alone in his camp, when Jacob wrestled with God, he also learned to lose. He learned to surrender. And thanks to our sinful nature, we often find ourselves struggling with God every step of the way, don't we? We also need to learn how to surrender to his lordship. In Luke 9, 23, Jesus puts it this way, and he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. You know, carrying the cross always led to death on a cross. Like, like nobody carried the cross for fun. The first hearers of Jesus didn't need the explanation of the cross. They knew it was an unrelenting instrument of torture and death and humiliation. If somebody took up his cross, he like never came back. It was a one-way journey. And I just think that's exactly what we need to do. We need to die to self. And we need to take a one-way journey to surrendering to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Then the Bible said the man touched Jacob's hip, tearing it out of its socket. And because of the injury, he walked with a limp for the rest of his life. And yet at the same time, Jacob walked in greater power than he ever did before. Under the fullness and the faithfulness of God's blessing. Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians 12.10. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and calamities. For when I am weak, I am what? I'm strong. You know how to recognize God's blessing in your life? One way is, is you tend to limp, right? Not physically necessarily, but many times you have this struggle with God, and then you, you come with a new way of walking and surrendering to the Lord. All right, third one, how to deal with a detour is you need to balance yesterday's books. As much as possible, you need to make right that which you in the past made wrong. 
It means that there might be some uncomfortable conversations. You, you might have to humble yourself. You might have to ask for forgiveness. You might even have to plead for mercy. But just like Jacob couldn't return to his homeland without facing Esau, you can't move forward without fully resolving any mess that you might have made in the years prior. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said in Matthew 5, verses 23 and 24, so if you so if you are an offering, or if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there you remember your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Jesus commands us quickly to settle our anger and malice with one another. And when we ignore it or we pass it off, it genuinely puts us into prison. We cannot move into full blessing of God if we have not fully owned our past and taken care of our past to whatever extent is possible. So maybe today you have some books to balance. Maybe there's a bridge or a wall that needs repair. If we want to move forward, we need to be ready to reconcile with the past. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word today. God, my prayer this morning is that if there's anybody here that, that, that needs to maybe go back into their past and just take care of the mess that was made, God, that you would give them the courage to do that. God, my prayer today is that we would be able to move forward and experience the blessings that you have for us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.